0: With the youth group on, uh, on Tuesday nights, we've been looking and going through uh, the unfolding story of, uh, of the Scriptures, looking from Genesis to Revelation. And one of the things that we've, we've been talking about and that we, we've seen is that uh, the Scriptures are, are a unified story. Not, I mean, story not in meaning that, that word is being myth or made up, but truth. And the unified uh, nature of it, that from the beginning to the end, it is telling us one great uh, recounting of the, the salvific work and redemptive work of our God. And even though the, the scriptures have been written by uh, dozens of different authors over, uh, over a thousand years or more, that story and that message is unified. It doesn't contradict and we see it unfolding in the beauty culminating in, uh, in Jesus. Uh, one thing that we, uh, we looked at was in uh, Genesis 3.15. In the beginning, one of the, the, after the fall, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and His, uh, and his kingdom, uh, this is one of the things that the Lord says in His curse to the serpent in verses 14 and 15. Yahweh God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." One of the things that, that, that God says will be taking place throughout this great uh, redemptive story, redemptive history, is one that we, we see that he, that he tells us is that it's going to involve uh, attempts at sabotage against this kingdom. As there will be enmity between those who are the offspring of Satan and those who are depending and trusting and resting in God. One of the things that we see also this, a part of this unfolding story is that God has a sovereign plan and purpose that He is decreeing before it even uh, happens that this is what's going to be going on. But He promises that He is going to bring about in the midst of all of this a Redeemer and a Deliverer. He has a sovereign plan, and the truth and the reality that it tells us is that this Savior, this promised one, will indeed. And in fact, save. That is true as we see the whole story unfold. And this morning, we want to jump in, uh, in 1 Samuel, to see how the unity of this story shows up in the chapter that we're looking at in 1 Samuel. To see those those three things. the, the, The attempts to sabotage the kingdom. The sovereign plan and purpose and the success that God will bring about for His kingdom. And the salvation that the Christ, the King, will bring. So, if you would, look with me in chapter 22 of 1 Samuel. Uh, We've been working our way through this book, seeing how God is preparing His people for the coming of His King. We're going to pick up in verse 6 this week of chapter 22 and go through the end of the chapter. Remember where we left off last time? Uh, David is uh, has fled from the presence of Saul as it has become ever more apparent that he is seeking to destroy David's life. Uh, and now word comes back to Saul about where David is. So if you would, uh, follow along with me. If you're in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 245. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 23. Now Saul heard that David was discovered and the men who were with him. Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in his hand, and all the servants were standing about him. And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, people of Benjamin. Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds that you have conspired against me? No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. Then answered Doeg, the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul. I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of Yahweh for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Then the king sent to summon Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests who were at Nob. And all of them came to the king. And Saul said, "'Here now, son of Iatub.' And he answered, "'Here I am, my Lord.' And Saul said to him, "'Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, and that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him, so that he has risen against me to lie in wait as at this day?' Then Ahimelech answered the king, "'And who among all your servants is so faithful as David?' who is the king's son-in-law and captain over your bodyguard and honored in your house. Is today the first time that I've inquired of God for him? No. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father, for your servant has known nothing of all this, much or little. And the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, "'Turn and kill the priests of Yahweh, "'because their hand also is with David, "'and they knew that he fled "'and did not disclose it to me.' But the servants of the king would not put out their hand to strike the priests of Yahweh. Then the king said to Doeg, "'You turn and strike the priests.' And Doeg the Edomite turned and struck down the priests." And he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priests, he put to the sword. Both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey and sheep, he put to the sword. But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of Yahweh. And David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me, you shall be in safekeeping. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank You, and we do this every week, but we thank You for uh, the accurate provision of Your Scriptures that You've given to us. We thank You for the confidence that we can have that what we read is the Word of God. Holy Spirit, we thank You that it's uh, not just words, but living and active words, and that You are at work through the reading and the preaching of the Scriptures, and we ask and pray that You would accomplish Your purposes now as You always do among us. For the glory of Christ we pray. Amen. So kids, if you are following along with your, uh, your, with your notes, three words to listen for uh, as you keep your, your outline. You can mark tick marks if you want. Uh, so listen for sabotage, success, and salvation, or any kind of variation of those words. So save would count. Uh, Uh, successful uh, would count as well. So, sabotage, success, salvation. So first, what we want to see is, remember, what God said was going to be true of the whole history of redemption is that the offspring of the evil one would be seeking to sabotage the work in the kingdom of God. And we see it show up here, don't we? Look look even in in, in the beginning, in in verse 6. Now Saul heard that David was discovered and the men who were with him. Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in his hand. What has Saul been doing with that spear from the very beginning? Has he not been using that spear to attack and attempt to destroy God's anointed one? Or anyone who is in allegiance with him, who follows him. He's attempted to kill David multiple times with that spear. He's attempted to kill his own son with that spear for following David. Here, it's as if the well, the author is. He's, he's given us this detail and this point to let us and show us again that Saul is one who is opposed to the kingdom of God, and who will do whatever is necessary from his perspective to sabotage any work and establishing of that kingdom. And we see it happening here. What does Saul do with his anger, with his resentment, with his enmity against God and his people? Notice even Saul's perspective in verse 8, the way that he describes it. He wonders why all these people are, haven't told him what's going on. And you notice the language that he uses. Uh, Has David promised all this stuff to you that you have conspired against me? That language comes up a lot. Saul is viewing that what is going on as a conspiracy against him. Do you notice all that he was, uh, uh, that he was upset about? <laughs> One of the things that, that, that came up down in verse 13, he says to, uh, to Ahimelech, uh, when he comes, why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and a sword, and have inquired of God for him? Notice what Saul's saying there: you're seeking God's will. And his instruction and his guidance for David is a conspiracy against me. Why? Because God recognizes that the establishment of David as king, the preserving of David is the moving forward of God's kingdom. And Saul is opposed to that. It's a threat to him. And he is going to seek to sabotage it and bring an end to it. Notice, that's what he, he says. That's what his intentions are. Notice what he his command to uh, what he says to Ahimelech there in uh, in verse sixteen, and the king said, "You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your all your father's house." And then he turns and he says, "Turn and kill all the priests of Yahweh, because their hand is also with David." But Notice Saul's intention to sabotage to kill. Here, even uh, not just David's not in, in his place now, but what is his intention and his goal? What happens if he takes out the priests of God? Remember, all of them are here. It's not just Ahimelech that's come. It gave us the detail that down, back over in verse eleven that Ahimelech, all his father's house, and the priests who were at Nob, all of them came to the king, and his desire. His goal, His motive is to get rid of all of the mediators between God and man. To seek to bring an end to the worship of God and men being able to seek guidance and instruction and direction because Saul, at his heart, wants to sabotage the kingdom of God and bring an end to all who would look to and give allegiance to God and his king. And it's not just Saul, it's Doeg. Remember that mention, that slight little sentence last week? Doeg the Edomite was there. And when all of Saul's guard refuses to slaughter and murder the priests of God, Doeg eagerly says, oh, I'll do it. Eighty-five of them he wipes out. And he doesn't stop there. Do you pick up what it said? He travels from there to the city where they lived. And he put the sword all the men who were there All the women who were there. All the children who were there. All the infants who were there. All the oxes, the donkeys, and the sheep. Every single one of them He puts to the sword. This reminds us of something that happened earlier back in uh, chapter 15. Remember, God gave a command to Saul due to the rebellion and the sin of the Amalekites, that he was to judge them by devoting them to destruction with similar things. But Saul refused. He only did it partially. He would not fulfill and carry out this command that God had given him in justice against the Amalekites. And yet here, Saul and his hardness of heart and his rebellion is all the more eager to what he refused to do before, now he carries out with joy, you could say, the slaughter of all of the priests, of all of their families, and all of their property and goods and knob. This is wickedness. This is evil. This is showing the enmity that the offspring of the serpent has for the people of God and their desire to sabotage the coming kingdom and establishment of God's purposes in this world. Remember, this is, wasn't just true in Genesis 3. It's true in First Samuel 22, and it's true in 2022 just over the past couple of months, listen to some of the things that have been going on with the continued attempts to sabotage the kingdom of God. In Turkey, a a former imam came to faith in Jesus through the sharing of the gospel by his wife. And as he converted to, to, to Christ, he experienced persecution from his community, from his family, from her family, and they had to flee and now they are in, uh, in hiding and going through uh, intense discipleship to equip them to sustain under this continued persecution. In Sudan on April 10th, 10 Muslim extremists stormed a Christian church. Uh, attacked the pastor and three of the women who were in there, destroyed uh, much of their property, their Bibles, and the stuff that was that was inside the church. They called the, uh, the officials of the city, the, the community, to come and investigate and to do something. They arrested the pastor for what occurred. In Algeria, another church has been closed 17 churches have been closed since 2017 as the, 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 the government is systematically seeking to silence the worship of God and the establishment of his kingdom in that country. And in Iran, uh, a woman who has been a faithful discipler and minister to women in that community, uh, they, uh, the, the leadership in Iran uh, invaded one of her discipleship meetings, beat and persecuted her, threw her into prison, and now she is in a jail for two years because she is seeking to follow Jesus. And those who are opposed to the kingdom of God and of His Christ are seeking to sabotage that work and silence God and His people. In an American high school, A kid who uh, acknowledges the truth that God made all things is ridiculed by his teacher in front of his classmates seeking to sabotage the work of the kingdom in that child's heart and the truth going out within that school and in that class. It's still happening. The offspring of the evil one is seeking to rebel against and sabotage the kingdom of God. What does this mean? It seems like they're succeeding. Eighty-five priests, their entire village. These churches are getting wiped out in Algeria. What about this faithful woman who's been discipling the lambs of Jesus in Iran? Where were you, God? Are you not able to protect them? Is Satan more powerful than you? Have the the offspring of the evil one finally built up the strength and the power to overcome you? Could you not do anything about it? That's what it seems like. But that, in fact, is not the case. Notice what we see here in this passage. It's not because uh, God has no power or that He wasn't aware of what was going on. In fact, what this passage tells us is even though the offspring of the evil one are seeking to sabotage the kingdom of God, they will never succeed. For the sovereign plan and purposes of our God will always succeed. Notice, Notice in this passage. Remember, we're we're, we're hearing about the destruction of the priestly line of those who descended from Ahitub. I don't know if you remember, but back in chapter 2, remember as God is coming and is seeking to prepare His people for the coming of the King? He needs to, to purify His people because false worship had been going on. The priesthood in that day was uh, deplorable. They had completely abandoned faithful worship of God and were in fact taking advantage of God's people and defiling the worship that was going on there. Remember that's why Eli was condemned and his sons. Listen to what uh, God said to him, to Eli and his uh, and his line back in chapter two, in verse twenty nine. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore, Yahweh, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out out before me forever. But now, Yahweh declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever." The only one of you, whom I shall not cut off from my altar, shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this shall come upon you, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, Shall be assigned to you. Both of them shall die on the same day, and I will raise up for myself a faithful priest, who will do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. Far from being outside of God's strength and his ability, far from this being evidence that he has lost control. What the author of 1 Samuel is wanting us to see is that this is the unfolding of God's plan and purposes. This language came up over and over as it mentions and it talks about uh, Ahimelech and his family. It keeps saying over and over about him and his father's house, his father's house, In verse 11, it talks about all of his father's house were brought down to the king. Down in verse 15, again, it talks about Ahimelech and his father's house. Again in verse 16 and in verse 22, the author here in chapter 22 is wanting to point us back to what was told about in chapter 2 that the the, 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 father, the house of Eli and all of his father's house would come under the judgment of God because of their rebellion. Saul thinks that he is sabotaging the purposes of God. But God in his sovereignty is at work in the midst of this. For he decreed it. He said that it was going to come about. Here, this is the result of his judgment upon Ahimelech's family for their rebellion and his work to begin to establish and bring up another priestly line that will honor him. Here, we have two things going on. Both the wickedness and the evil of men and the sovereign plan and purposes of God. How how can these things come together? How could God use and work and decree and plan judgment to come on Ahimelech through this wicked act of sin on Saul's part? In chapter 52 of the book of Psalms, David records a psalm reflecting on Doeg, and his wickedness, and his evil. Listen to some of the things that he says in Psalm 52. Remember, those little titles tell us the, the, um, uh, the inspired content and context of these, uh, of these psalms. It tells us right at the beginning that David wrote this, when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Notice what David says. Why do you boast of evil? O steadfast man, uh, o, o mighty man, the steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your p- t- tongue plots destruction. You're a worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is true. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. Here, as David is reflecting back on this, what he draws attention to and sees in this event is the wickedness and the evil and the sin of Saul and Doeg. But notice at the same time, as he reflects on God's part in it, what David draws out. In verse 1, Why do you boast of the evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Again, in uh, verse 8, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name, for it is good in the presence of the godly. Here, as David reflects on this act of evil, at the same time what he sees being carried out is evidence of God's steadfast love, His covenant purposes, His plan being fulfilled. In fact, David has the confidence to say at the end of this psalm that of God's steadfast plan and His purposes, He has done it. He will do it. He will accomplish all of His purposes. This is something that we see consistently happening through Scripture. Uh, we saw it in Genesis 3, but, but think about uh, the Israel coming into slavery in Egypt. In Genesis 15, God tells from the, from the beginning, way before Israel is even a nation, that they are going to be sent to Egypt suffer for 400 years, and then be delivered by the mighty hand of God. Uh, Is it because of judgment and wickedness on Israel's part? No. They're not being punished. They've done no wrong. It's because of the purposes of God. Later, in Genesis 50, listen to what Joseph says about his part and his brother's part in this great plan of God and the bringing of the people of Israel to Egypt. Look in Genesis chapter 50, uh, beginning in verse 18. His brothers came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Notice Joseph's understanding of what's going on is two people had intentions in that. God meant this event. He purposed it. He Joseph even tells a few chapters before, God is the one who sent him to Egypt. What are the means by which God used the wicked and evil intentions of his brothers. In that event, they intended it for evil. God intended it for good. But it happens in such a way that they are responsible. They freely did, or if you understand, our freedom is limited due to our enslavement of sin. They did what they intended in their heart. But God had that as a part of his decree and his purposes. In fact, we see that unfold all throughout the scriptures. Uh, th- th- think about uh, the, the things that God, the Scriptures tell us that God is sovereign over. A hair falling from your head? Something as inconsequential as that? None of that happens apart from the purposes of God. A bird falling out of the sky only occurs due to the sovereign plan and purposes of our great God. What about evil, though? Evil? Do we really want to, to work evil and have that to be part of God's sovereign plan and purposes? We may want to shy away from talking about that. We want to try to protect God, thinking that we're bringing shame to Him, but the Scriptures do not shy away from saying that our God is so sovereign over everything that even evil and wickedness falls out according to His plan. Think about the most heinous, wicked act ever to occur. The sacrifice of Jesus, the crucifixion of him on the cross. Look in Acts 2, what the apostles say as they reflect on this. Peter says this in Acts 2, 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Why did Jesus die? Because lawless men killed him. Why did Jesus die? Because that was the definite plan of God from before the foundations of the earth. What did Genesis 3.15 say? Offspring of the woman was going to be raised up. His heel would be bruised. He would bring about deliverance. What has Jesus said throughout the, the Scriptures? All the Scriptures point to the fact that He must suffer. That He must be rejected. That He must die. Over in Acts 4. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. All of it is happening according to the plan and the sovereign purposes of God. And this leads the apostles to celebrate and worship God for His sovereignty. As we think about all that is going on in the world and all that is happening here in 1 Samuel, the fact that our sovereign God, His plan will be accomplished, and even the acts and the wicked deeds of men in this world, they will never sabotage His kingdom. Because his plan will always come about. It will always bring success. He will succeed in bringing it to fruition. Because even those who want to rebel and sabotage his kingdom and his purposes can't help but to be used and a part of that great plan. We have a sovereign God. Take hope. Rest in our God. Does this answer all the questions we have? No. We don't have an answer for why we go through tough and difficult things. In this instance, for Ahimelech and his family, it was due to God's judgment. In fact, Eli's reflection on it is that God carrying this judgment out was good, but at the same time, it's evil on Saul and Doeg's part. Uh, later, uh, if you think about the, the blind man who was uh, suffering, was it due to somebody's sin? No. Jesus says it so that God's God to be glorified in Him. We don't have questions or we don't have answers for all of these things, but we do know this: our God is good. He is righteous. His ways are perfect. His plan will come about and will succeed. And therefore, we as His people do not need to fear. Why? Because His plan will be successful. He will be victorious. In uh, 1945, World War II ended, but there was this one guy who didn't know it ended. A guy named Hiru Onoda. He continued to battle and fight in the Philippines for the Japanese army. For 29 years, he continued to fight, skirmishing and going in and attacking villages and people around, thinking that the war continued to go on, not knowing that he'd lost, that victory had been secured. It wasn't until they had to send his commanding officer who was his leader back in the 40s? To go to the Philippines, visit this guy, and say, Look, the war's over. We lost. Turn in your sword and come back to Japan that he finally gave up. You see, the wickedness and evil that is going on in our world can be viewed in the same way Satan's lost. Those who rebel against our God have lost. Victory has been secured. Their wickedness and their evil and their attempts to sabotage show nothing but their refusal to acknowledge that Jesus has won the victory. And notice how we see that here, closing up: that the Christ of God is the one who saves. Notice in verse 23 what David says as Ahimelech comes, I mean, as Abiathar comes to him. He says, Stay with me, do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safe keeping. Now, now hold on, David. This one guy, he escapes Doeg's assault, and you say, Don't worry, Abiathar. The guy who's trying to kill you, he's trying to kill me too. So just stay with me. I'll keep you safe. What? If I want to remain safe, I should get as far away from this conflict as possible. Why do I want to be with you? Well, this is why. Because it's only under the protection and the care of God's anointed one, his Christ, will you be delivered and kept safe. Did Jesus not say the same thing? If you want to lose your life, try to save it. If you want to save your life, lose it for my sake and for the kingdom. Trust in me. I will keep you safe. Those who are against me are against you. But if you hope and trust and rest and rely on me, I will keep you safe. Listen to what he says as we close up over in John 10. What Jesus, our great king and shepherd, says to his people. In verse 27 of chapter 10 of John, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You hear what Jesus is saying? Stay with Me. I'll keep you safe. I'm the victorious one. All these attempts to sabotage my kingdom will come to nothing. They've lost. I have won. And I will keep you safe forever. Just trust and rest in me, regardless of what it looks like. I am the victorious one. My Father's sovereign plan will come about. My resurrection demonstrates it and I am coming for You. Do not fear. Trust in Me. Persevere. I am coming for You. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the truth of the Gospel. We thank You that despite the attempts to sabotage, You and Your plan are successful. Draw our confidence to Jesus. May our hope be in Him. We thank You that He is the victorious King and Savior. In Christ's name, Amen.